This podcast is brought to you by Knowledge at Wharton. Hi, I'm Sandy Hutt, Managing Director of the Wharton Social Impact Initiative, and I would like to welcome you to this conversation with Vincent Stanley, Patagonia's Director of Philosophy. Vincent, welcome to campus. Well, thanks for having me. So the 2,000-ish employees at Patagonia are very happy. This year alone, Patagonia ranked in the top 100 businesses by Fortune's 100 Best Companies to Work for, People's Companies That Care, and the Best Places to Work in Retail. And this year, Vincent shared with us earlier today, over 9,000 students applied for 13 internship spots with Patagonia. Mm -hmm. Here on campus, we had a packed room at lunch filled with students who said that working for you, Vincent, is their dream job. And so this interview is my attempt at a consolation prize for the 900, (laughs) 9,987 students and the many others who can learn from it who would love to be working for Patagonia and learning from you. So listeners, I give you Vincent Stanley, career coach. (laughs) So Vincent, how have you seen the workforce evolve with regards to an interest in social impact or working somewhere with a positive environmental impact? Well, I I think there's been a a lot of evolution over the past um, 20 years in business. I don't don't think any uh, university had a serious... Uh, sustain any business school had a serious sustainability program for 2002 or three. So you started to have the first graduates 2006 or seven. And that started to create a, a conversation that deepens and spreads. So it's a very different atmosphere than it was, say, in 1992, when I hired our first environmental manager, and I had to hire him from the city of Irvine, because the only people who knew how to do a life cycle analysis and business work for oil or chemical companies. Wow. Yeah, you, you've been quoted, I think this is from the from your book that you wrote um, with uh, Patagonia's founder. As mice and men share 99% of their genes, so do Walmart, BP, and Patagonia. Patagonia may seem different because its owners are committed to social and environmental change, but our management requires the same set of skills and pursues the same opportunities and faces the same competition and constraints as other businesses. So you're making the point that it is still a business and you know these mm-hmm. skills are mm-hmm. necessary and universal. But I do want to ask, are you looking for any unique skills or experiences when you hire? Is there any special sauce to finding someone that's a good fit for your company? You know, it, not necessarily, and it depends on what um, what part of the business they're going into. So on the product side or uh, the marketing side, we've often gone to people who were primarily involved in their sport. They were primarily runners or climbers or surfers. And they came to the business and we taught them the skills and they evolved into business people. That's very common on the product side. It's less common when you're talking about production people or, or finance people. At this point, I'd say we're very fortunate because we are known for our values as well as the products that we get. Um, we're able to choose from people who have the training and the experience that we need, but also share the company's core values. So it's not, uh, I think, 15 years ago, I would have given you a different story and I would have said, okay, it becomes the job of our culture to adopt or to um, bring people into the fold who come from some other environment. 
And now that's much less necessary. You're training on the skills, not yeah. the values. Yeah. People are right. opting in. Yeah. Um, so let's stay on that thread. So we know millennials stay at jobs for a shorter tenure than previous yeah. generations, um, but Patagonia has incredible retention. Mm-hmm. What makes Patagonia different and what can employment seekers look for in a job if they want to invest in a, a long career with a company as many do at Patagonia? There's an interesting quote in um, a book by Frederick Laloux called Reinventing Organizations. And the quote comes from a man named Zabriskie, who's a French uh, aircraft parts manufacturer, who said that uh, in order for people to be happy, they have to be motivated. In order to be motivated, they have to feel responsible. And in order to feel responsible, they have to know who they're working for and why and free to determine the how. And I, I really think that's true of any workplace. And at Patagonia, I think partly because we came out of this mountain climbing equipment company, that we always had a very strong egalitarian culture. And also partly because we were so green when we started. And I don't mean sustainably green. I mean, we were, <laughs> in every we way. didn't know what we, in every way, we didn't know what we were doing. So, you know, I'm a 21-year-old sales manager, and I'm going, well, what's that? And I've got a lot of friends around the table who are helping me if I'm trying to go to my first trade show or hire my first reps to say, okay, well, I think you should do this or do that. And and that kind of uh, collegiality of of, uh, equally uninformed people actually (laughs) helped us to develop the business. So so that said, there are other factors. Um, We have on-site daycare. And I... I I wish I had sound effects to have an applause (laughs) reel right now, but here's mine. Um, It's almost unimaginable to me the kinds of tensions that parents experience when they have to go to work and leave a a kid with a professional and it's not on-site. So it changes the whole nature of the community to have kids laughing, to be able to have lunch with your kid, to uh, if the kid gets sick, that you simply go down and then you take take the kid home. And we do not lose working parents. Um, I think that the, the return rate, women return to work after they have a child, but then at the end of the first year, it's something like only 20% of them yeah, are the, in. Yeah, the sort of two and through problem of yeah. returning and retaining. Yeah, Right. And we have something like 98% retention, not just of mothers, but also of fathers, because we give fathers four months leave as well. Um, and I think for the as long as the kids are involved in that child care program, there's really no incentive to go to work anywhere else because there's no other place that offers that kind of environment. Absolutely. And it's really good childcare too. The other thing I think that that I'm imagining them climbing like a small well, rock wall. No, for these no, I was about to I was about to, to say that. But I think it's very interesting that the um, qualities that we try to develop in the kids on the one hand self-reliance and then on the other hand uh, cooperation and reciprocity. And those are also qualities, I think, that we favor in our employees. So we have a pretty independent group of people working there, but they're pretty uh, decent to each other. Yeah. So It's a very integrated life. 
for yeah, an employee. It is, an, it is an integrated life. So for someone who's not lucky enough to be interviewing with Patagonia, but is assessing if the company they're interviewing with is going to have the values that, yeah. they're, that they're looking for, what's your advice? What questions would you ask? What things would you look for um, if someone was seeking your advice on determining how deep, how deeply really embedded the values are at a company they're interviewing with? Yeah. Um, I think there, there are a couple of ways. The easiest is to see if the company is a B Corp. Um, and then even if the company is a B Corp, I would look at what is the distance between what a company says and what it does. And you can find that out from talking to employees or, or talking to, to customers. Um, and if you're working for a larger company, one of the, the obvious things to look for is if you're interested in a job in sustainability, that you want to make sure that that larger company has sustainability under operations and not under marketing. Um, or worse, under legal uh, for uh, compliance. Um, those are those are things to look for. Sometimes people ask me, should I go to work for a big company and try to work for change, or should I try to work for a company that's already committed? And I think my usual answer is, if you go to work for a company that you hope to change, don't stay there for more than two years if nothing is happening. Um, and then try to find allies within the company. Use it as an education opportunity. But it's just so, and there's no reason now, I think, to go to work for a company for the long run that you don't feel alignment with when there are so many new companies coming around. Yeah, you gave a good piece of advice there for what we sometimes hear referred to as intrapreneurs. So, yeah. you know, folks who are looking right. to make that yeah. impact change within a company. Uh, besides finding like-minded mm -hmm. pals, compatriots in that effort, what other advice would you have for someone looking to drive impact in a company? A couple of, a couple of pieces of advice I give to students, and some are not so much in business school, but those who are going into NGOs. So... If you have a, a bug to save the world, the thing you want to watch out for is you want to make sure that the work you're doing is actually something that you draw satisfaction from. So uh, I think a lot of people go into activist work and they end up doing things that they don't particularly have a gift for or don't get satisfaction the from. The actual you, skills they're using day to day. Yeah, okay. right. So for business students, I always ask them, okay, if you want to save the world, where do you want to save it? In marketing, operations, finance, what do you have a bent for? Um, because 90% of work is chores, uh, <laughs> no, matter, no matter what kind of work it is. And you want that 10% to really be deeply, uh, deeply sustaining. You want it to be satisfying. Um, so that, that's one piece of advice. And the second is also identify what is it people come to you for. Uh, and that may not be the same thing as your deepest source of satisfaction, but it also gives you a sense of social usefulness mm -hmm. um, that, that, that people, people trust you for something or they call on you for something that you know how to do. Uh, 
you know, whether you're singing at weddings or giving the funeral oration, um, or you're, you know, helping somebody make contact with someone that someone is afraid to contact. Those kinds of things are really important to understand about yourself. Yeah. And you're talking a little bit about students there. As you meet these young job seekers, are there any um, misunderstandings or uh, things that you think they're missing and you'd like to set the record straight or correct in their perspective? (laughs) No. Um, I mean, it, it, it's all, it's all kind of individual. Um, I'll give you an example of times that have been times of great tension for Patagonia. And I, and I think it happens with, with any company as it's growing. So a company grows from 5 million to 10 million or 50 million to a hundred million. And all of a sudden everything it does to produce its products and services has to change in terms of its systems, just the simple stuff. How do you handle the inventory? How do you handle the finances? And, and so you, you need to put those new systems in place and you end up hiring somebody from a larger company to come and help you because none of your employees have ever worked with the system for a business that size. And that's where you can get into real tension because the people who work there say, you know, do am I still relevant because they're bringing in these people over me? And the people who come in say, ooh, this is a really interesting place. I'm worried I'm going to screw up or I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hurt the place because I don't really understand what it is. So there's an integration period. So I think for anybody hiring, even if you're just kind of going into your first job, to really listen... I mean, this sounds sort of cliched and obvious, but to really listen that first couple of months, um, get the get a feel for the place um, before uh, you start to really work. That's great advice. Um, you referenced when we were having lunch with students today that your younger employees are starting to apply pressure. They mm-hmm. have expectations and hopes. Tell us a little bit more about what you meant by that and what they seem to be driving on or pushing for. Yeah. Well, at Patagonia, the younger employees want to be able to bring their dogs to work. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> um, Is that allowed? Yeah, we all of a sudden we have dogs in the workplace. Um, it's harder for me to see that there's some subtle generational changes in our own company, but I see that more when I talk to people at other companies. Hmm. And and an example is Danone, and I talked a, a little bit about at lunch. Big French multinational, privately or publicly traded, and. Um, they bought the largest organic uh, dairy company in the U.S., $6 billion company, and they embedded uh, an executive, a wonderful woman named Lorna Davis, who used to run Nabisco in China, into the B-Lab office because they said, we want to make this company a B Corp within three years. So they had Lorna work in the B-Lab because B-Lab had never evaluated a company that size. Was that here in Philadelphia? No, in New York. Okay. She was in the New York office. And um, those employees, there were 100 
different employees working on it, most of them millennials, and they made it happen in one year rather than three. And this is with a new acquisition, which is so, this is really difficult. Um, I hear from a lot of companies that they get real pressure um, from their younger employees on, on, on values. Um, and that my favorite story is a few years ago, I was at a university I will not name, <laughs> and the dean hauled me into his office and said he, he was in charge of placement for, for graduates. He says, I've got a real problem here. He says, I can't get any of my students to go to work for bad companies. <laughs> <laughs> what a good problem to have. Yeah, it's, a good, it's to hear a good it. problem to have. That is great. Um, and, uh, you know, you, you said that you've seen this problem, this integration issue. Yeah. And maybe a um, multi-generation of, of workforce issue more at other companies than at Patagonia. What do you think smooths that at Patagonia and makes it less... Uh, you know, bumpy and challenging than it is at these other companies. I don't think it has been less bumpy and challenging, but I do think it's easier now and partly because we've been hiring more according to values. You know, we get people with the, the experience we need, the training we need, but also with the values. So we have less, a little bit less of people coming in and, and saying, how do you, how does this place really operate? Um, I think that there's a level of cultural confidence that this company is successful because of the way it works um, uh, rather than uh, challenged by its constraints. To the extent that you can give us a peek behind the curtain, how do you hire on values? What does an interview process look like or how do you, you know, systematically look for those things you know, I often joke yeah. when we, you know, hire an interview, it's like proposing on the third date. It's like, yeah, oh, it's yeah, been, you yeah. know, three good hours of conversation. <laughs> no, it's How's really 35 hours a week yeah. for years sound like? Right. Um, you know, so it's a big decision. You make it in a short period of time. How do you suss out? Because from where I sit, you see values over time. You yeah. know, that's a tricky thing to look for no, immediately. I, th I think that's true. But what we, we have, we talk to people several times before we hire them. And we have people... Uh, interviewed by the people who are going to work for them as well as the people who they're going to work for. Um, uh, Dean Carter, our head of HR, once said he reads resumes from the bottom up. So he'll look at the what are their sports, what are the volunteer yes, activities. Yeah, mm -hmm. what are their volunteer activities um, as well as what's the, what's the curriculum vitae. Fascinating. It always yeah. makes me think I need to make more time for hobbies. <laughs> I think when I read our students' resumes and holy cow, they're salsa dancing and cooking and yes, speaking French and yeah. mountain biking and all these things. Yeah. Excellent. Well, as we head towards the end of the conversation here, um, you know, I would I want to know what's the best piece of career advice you've ever received from someone? Ooh. You know, it's interesting. I did not have a career because I went to work for Patagonia before yeah. my 21st birthday. Um, you had a long career there. Yeah, but um, I didn't get a lot of advice. <laughs> <laughs> okay. either, either good or bad. How about this? We'll spin it. <laughs> what would you tell your 21-year-old self? Um, there's an interesting... Okay, so there's a guy named Randy Rebkin who writes for the New York Times. 
on and wrote for the New York Times and now writes for other places on it, on the environment. And he says is that what we need in the approach to the environment environmental crisis is both urgency and patience. Then I actually think that I would give that as advice to my 21-year-old self or to a 21-year-old student that on the one hand you really have to understand that the the so what the pope calls the crisis the one crisis with two faces the social and environmental crisis that this is so large and so looming and that it needs work and that you must never lose sight of it and on this on the one on the other hand patience is required because it takes one of the things i think that we've one of the ways we've gone wrong in business and in the industrial economy as a whole is to build very large systems based on transactions that have very sh- shallow relationships involved it's very difficult to to do values related work without having strong relationships and patience is required for building relationships and patience is also required for building an understanding as i mentioned if you go into a place there's a, the koreans have a word for it something about reading the room you have to be able to read read the company before you can really start to interact in it so i think you do need that comment i would advise that combination well, i think that's great advice you said earlier that 90% of work It's chores, yeah, and ten percent is deeply sustaining. So I want to thank you for being a part of the ten okay. percent of my job that is <laughs> deeply sustaining with conversations like this. Thank you, uh, listeners. This is Vincent Stanley, Patagonia's director of philosophy, sharing his advice with you on careers and telling the stories of what makes Patagonia such a special place to work. Vincent, thank you for all you're doing for the world. For more insight from Knowledge at Wharton, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu. Thank you.